0: And welcome to the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. I'm Mark Reese, and on each episode, I investigate a different, weird, and wonderful subject. And on this episode, we are going to look at some spooky accounts of haunted water. The ghosts and folklore of water with some wicked spirits, some water ogres, some giant serpents, and all manner of of watery curiosities. Now, this episode is the latest in my never-ending occasional series that looks at some of the strange folklore associated with water in Wales. And on this episode, we will be looking at why exactly some of these terrifying spirits find themselves trapped in the seas, the rivers, and the lakes of the land. But before we get to these spine-chilling subjects As I like to do on such episodes, let's kick things off with some of the nicer, happier folklore. And so, to begin at the beginning. And what could be a happier subject to kick things off with than marriage? Unless, of course, you consider marriage to be just as terrifying, if not more terrifying than the ghosts in the water. But whatever your personal views are on marriage, let's kick things off with what is supposed to be at least the happiest day of your life. And one tradition associated with marriage was that, to quote, It was customary for a newly married wife to drop a pin, or pins, P-I-N pin, into the house well immediately after entering her new home. If she neglected to do so, The first year of her married life would be unlucky. So maybe if you are one of those people who isn't a fan of marriage, maybe you've had a bad experience, maybe you forgot to drop a pin or pins into the water of the well. But there's more to it. And it wasn't just on your wedding day that you had to worry about dropping pins in wells because we are told that to pass a pin well, a particular kind of well where As the name suggests pins were supposed to be dropped into to pass a pin well without dropping a contribution in the shape of a pin or needle was regarded as very unlucky and in some places contributions of rags were expected as well as pins And some wells were set up especially for visitors to go to them and to leave offerings in. So, Mark Ross Well, for example, in the Vale of Glamorgan, if you visited, there would be deposits of pins there for wishing purposes. And thank offerings in the form of rags were fastened to the trees, brambles and bushes in the close vicinity. So, in the trees and brambles in that area, there were rags fastened All very colourful and all intended to bring good luck. And I think, and I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent here, but I've been quite good with my tangents recently, so please excuse me on this occasion. But the idea of a pinwell, which wasn't just popular in Wales across Britain and presumably in Ireland as well and maybe elsewhere, but these pinwells were also believed to be the homes of fairy folk, of Utuloth Tig, And this idea of leaving them gifts, some kind of offering, you're paying them off in a way, ties in with a lot of fairy folklore and fairy tales. You keep them happy, they'll keep you happy. You give them stuff, they make sure you don't get bad luck, you get the good luck, you get a happy marriage. But whatever the reason, that brings us to the end of my tangent, and it brings us to the end of marriage. But sticking with good luck, and what could be more lucky than bringing you good health to cure your ailments? And some of these watery locations could indeed heal you, such as the waters of the aforementioned Macross Well back in the Vale of Glamorgan, which has a rhyme attached to it. And the water there, we are told, was of medicinal efficiency, and especially in cases of. My affections it seems to have been visited for various complaints and an old rhyme about it runs thus: for the itch the stitch rheumatic and the gout if the devil isn't in you this well will take it out so the water in this well could defeat any ailment with the one exception of the devil himself if the devil's in you it won't work otherwise get yourself to Markros Well, where people also believed that the waters of this spring promoted the growth of the hair. So, a handy well all round. Now, let's move on to some of the more dangerous watery places. And we are told that springs and wells in some districts were supposed to be guarded by serpents and dragons. And the killing or removal of the guardian Was attended by dire consequences and they aren't exaggerating when they say dire because some of the consequences could be for example an epidemic which swept away entire families and as such to offend a well offspring was regarded as dangerous and i think regarded as dangerous is putting it lightly so by offending a spring or well by removing the guardian you could see your entire family swept away although i should stress before that happens you do of course have to defeat the guardian which would be something like a dragon so i don't think too many people had to worry about this happening to them, you know, unless they were Bilbo Baggins, say. But uh, cer- certainly not in Wales, maybe in the Shire, not in Wales, although there is actually a link between the Shire and Wales. And if you'll excuse me going off on another quick tangent, I think I've jinxed myself after no tangents for months on end. We've now got two on the same episode back to back. But as I'm sure Tolkien fans will know he was very much inspired by Welsh mythology, by the Mabinogion and by the language, as I've mentioned before. And in the 1940s, at least according to the legend, around the time he was writing Lord of the Rings, Tolkien did indeed spend some time in Talabont on Usk and apparently The contrast he saw there between the idyllic Brecon beacons and what was going on in the industrial part of the country with flames shooting up into the sky and all the soot and the danger inspired the Shire because of this contrast between the idyllic Brecon beacons and the, 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 the fire breathing furnaces of the industrial parts. And while that may or may not be true, He did certainly name one Hobbit location after somewhere in Wales, and that is Crick Hollow, which is named after Crick Howell but anyway that's the end of tangent number two no more tangents i promise you back to the main episode back to monsters and let's move on to a monster that i have never mentioned on this podcast before or in any of my books or in anything actually so let's correct that oversight right now and look at the tale of the water ogres yes water ogres and ogres again are quite a tolkien-esque subject i think to carry that on with Although these ogres are most definitely in Wales, not in Middle-earth. And to quote, an old woman living in the hamlet of Ogmore, to the south of Bridgend Glamorgan, as it was then, nowadays it's just Bridgend. But this old woman living in the hamlet of Ogmore, remembered curious story which was told to children in the early part of the 19th century and this is one of those tales where there are some different variations out there but we are going to stick to the version this old woman recalled and she says that three springs hidden in a hill not far from the ogmore mills on the Oweni river to the south of Bridgend, were regarded as very mysterious these three springs hidden in a hill were regarded as very mysterious and the three springs united at a spot which is known as she well but she spelled s-h-double-e which i think might be a little nod towards irish mythology there but i won't go off on another tangent and the informant the old woman living in ogmore said the people believed that girls were carried off by water ogres and kept imprisoned at the source of the springs some of these maidens never escaped but one came away one escaped and was ever afterwards dumb so that she could not describe what had happened during her absence so girls in the area of ogmore are being carried off by these water ogres to this hidden, secluded spot. And even if you managed to escape, which was rare, there's only one example that we have, you came back unable to speak of the ordeal. And one day, and this is a slightly confusing part of the tale, I'll I'll explain this in a moment, but one day the She-Well, the She-Well, the source of this water where the springs met, to quote, ran away. It ran away. Now, I am assuming that's not... In the literal sense, the water, the water got up and, and legged it as it were. But the water was no longer there, the water was gone, and there is an explanation offered because, as well as the ogres, some wild wicked men formerly lived on the banks of the Awani and Ogmore rivers. They never mowed the meadows, nor sowed the fields, but lived by robbery and murder so that often human blood tainted the waters of the rivers which is quite a short description for quite a horrific scene the rivers in this part of Bridgend were flowing red with all the blood that was being dumped into it and we are told that as a result of this neglect the she-well mourned and lamented And one day it suddenly receded into the hills. The low cavern of the well became quite dry and not a trickle of water could be seen. So the water... After flowing red from human blood, thanks to these wicked men who didn't lift a finger to do any work. They simply robbed and killed other people. As a result, the water in the she-well has receded into the darkness, just leaving behind this cavernous opening. And to return to the tale, the robbers heard the moanings and groanings of the well the well was not silent and they quickly realized that not only had the water been taken away but everything that was in the water including the fish which sustained them and they said to themselves the ogres of the she-well cannot deprive us of the fish and they decided to go in search of the source of the water to find exactly where everything had retreated to but When they looked where the stream flowed to meet the rivers, nothing was found but snakes and toads. Just barren riverbeds with snakes and toads. And when the men went to the Aweni and Ogmore rivers, they found that the ogre of the well had charmed away all the fish. So, with all the fish gone... All of a sudden the robbers were penitent and they went humbly to the cavern from which the she-well sent forth its stream and begged the ogre to let the waters return the ogre promised to do this if the men agreed to till the lands cultivate the fields and mow the meadows then the robbers made the cavern and basin of the well sweet and clean and planted trees around so that the place looked cool and inviting. The people danced and rejoiced in honour of the return of the she-well, and it was said that old men and women grew young again for joy. So, all in all, it's a happy story in the end. The wicked men changed their ways they made Ogmo and the surrounding area a lovely place to live where people grew young again from joy so it was good news for everyone well except maybe for all of those girls being carried off to the cavern by the water ogres but everyone seems to have forgotten about them so let's just move on to the next tale and things get a bit creepier in our next tale because near nantle in gwynedd there is a spring near a brook. And sometimes sorrowful cries and wailings are heard there. They are supposed to come from this deep unseen spring where a water woman lives in imprisonment for her sins. And I'll resist the urge to go off on a third tangent here, but it's always the sinful woman, isn't it? And when you look at these sins from a modern perspective, they are hardly sinful. But either way, she has been imprisoned for her sins. The cries are ominous of death in the parish so not only is this just a terrifying sound reminding the locals of the tortured soul of this spirit trapped in the water it also doubles up as a kind of death omen with her tormented wailing signaling that somebody would not be on this earth much longer so her voice worked in a similar way to the toily to the phantom funerals or the canoilt corf the corpse Candles. where to see one was never ever a good sign which leads us into our next unusual tale and this one comes to us courtesy of some family manuscripts and it goes like this llan dhauro which i'm assuming is the llan dhauro in carmarthenshire back in carmarthenshire but Clan dhauro is a corruption from llan dovergoir we are told and i'll spell those out to you the last one Clan dovergoir is double l a n d Y F R, G W Y R and Clan Dowro is double L again A N D Z O W R O R with Clan Davergor meaning the Church of the Water Men. And about seven watermen in particular. And these seven watermen were seven sons. Make of that what you will, I will not go off on another tangent. And these watermen from Llandauro were born on the water, escaped from the water, and on land were maintained by the fishes of the water so they escaped from the water and now they live on land where they feed themselves from the fishes who are still in the water and while that all might sound a bit vague a bit mysterious it is because nobody really quite knows where exactly they came from and so to continue mystery attended their origin and they devoted themselves to a religious life in old age the seven brothers went out on the water in a boat and as they never returned, mystery and shrouded their death. So where exactly they came from is a mystery, except for the fact they emerged from the water, and where they disappeared to is a mystery except for the fact that they disappeared back into the water. All we know is that in the meantime, they seem to live good Christian lives. Although I guess you could say if they never returned, who knows if they died, maybe they simply returned to the water from which they escaped. I guess that tale will have to remain something of a mystery for now, maybe forever, but things certainly get a bit more ghostly in our next tale. And this one takes place in Swallow's Fall at Capel Kirig, Carnarvonshire, as the counties were again. And Swallow falls this majestic sublime waterfall is supposed to keep imprisoned the turbulent spirit of sir john wynne for his many sins and wickedness they say he is bound hard and fast to the bottom of the fall and in his frantic efforts to get free from his fetters he makes terrible noises and cries as the cascades rush over him Which is quite a chilling image to conjure up in your mind, Sir John Wynne is chained at the bottom, screaming into the water, and these screams echo out over the local area. And if you do find yourself standing there, enjoying the picturesque waterfall, with this tormented wailing spoiling the experience... Now you know who to blame, it is this sinful man, Sir John Wynne. Although it does make a nice change having a sinful man, well it's not, it's not nice for Sir John Wynne of course, but as I was saying earlier when I went off on one of those tangents, and I guess this is another tangent, but I did say it's always the sinful women, well in this case it is a sinful man, and a man who has been knighted at that. But moving on, because we have even more tormented souls trapped in the waters of Wales. And in the bed of the river under Haverford West Bridge, a wicked man's spirit is said to be bound for a thousand years. When the time has expired, when the thousand years are up, the most important man in the town is to release him. But as nobody knows when the thousand years began... It is impossible to say when they will expire. So the spirit still remains endurance vile, which is a nice obsolete way of saying a very long prison sentence. And while they rightly note that because nobody knows when these thousand years started, nobody knows when exactly it's going to end, I think an equally important question is how the heck do you work out who the most important man in the town is? And does it have to be a man? I imagine the most important person in Haverford West is probably a woman. And do they have to have some kind of popularity contest have a vote to find out who everyone likes the most or do you just assume is it you know is it the mayor or the highest scorer in the local football or rugby team who knows and what if you pick the wrong person what if you don't send the most important person you send the second most important person or most important man by mistake what if it all goes wrong and backfires what if they end up trapped for another thousand years i guess that would be a good thing but what if it does the opposite and releases them earlier some super Powered, terrifying specter. So many questions, so few answers, and I guess if it only happens once every thousand years, the opportunities to test this out in our lifetimes are few and far between but anyway i'm just thinking aloud i guess that probably qualifies as yet another tangent but what the heck let's fill up this episode and make up for lost time with them and finally let us look at what really is i think the big question to emerge from this episode and all the other episodes i've done on spooky water in wales and that is why exactly are the ghosts in wales attracted to and associated with water well to quote In the days of old, when ghosts were laid, and that's laid L-A-I-D, as in the, the old fashioned way of saying busted, you know, when ghosts were laid, when ghosts were busted, the spirits were driven to a pool of water, a lake, a well or the sea. So what we're told is back in the good old days, when a ghost was laid, when a ghost was busted, it was then disposed of into the water now it could be any body of water it could be a pool a lake a well or the sea but that is where the ghost was then imprisoned so if we keep the ghostbusters idea going think of them as being caught in traps but then instead of emptying that trap into a containment unit that trap would be emptied into the water and to continue with a quote occasionally they were allowed to return from their watery prison by the length of a grain of corn or barley a day. And this is something which does crop up again and again in many of these old ghost stories where it's never permanent, it's never forever. So as we've just heard in the last tale from Haverford West, they were trapped for a very long time, for a thousand years, for many lifetimes, and even at the end of that, there was a pretty good chance they weren't going to get out. But it was never impossible there was always a slim chance that they might, one day, someday, manage to escape. And that is why, to quote, it took ages to accomplish this journey. And even then, when they did make it back, they weren't always in the same form as before. And yes, I did say form. They might come back in a different form, such as in this one particular tale from the Vale of Neath, where a tale was formerly told of a spirit doomed to remain trapped in one of the pools of the hapst of the river and returning in the shape of a frog. So this spirit waited for for what? a century more maybe i don't know but a very very long time and when they finally did return they returned in the shape of a frog so if you do see a frog emerging from a pool be sure to take care because yes it might just be a frog but it might also be a wicked spirit that has been patiently waiting biding its time for centuries for revenge So before you go picking it up or kissing it even, there is just as much chance of it being a prince as a demon. And on that ominous note, we have reached the end of another ribbiting episode of the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. And I am so, so sorry for that terrible pun. Normal service will be resumed next episode, I promise. But if you have enjoyed this episode, even with the terrible jokes and all the tangents, and you'd like more watery folklore, as I've mentioned, I've recorded quite a few episodes on this theme now, if you wanted to go back and check them out. And also, if you haven't already, be sure to hit the subscribe button and you'll never miss one of the future Spooky, watery episodes coming up. And as always, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can treat me to a coffee via my website, or you could just leave a nice review or give it a quick thumbs up or five stars or whatever the options are on whatever platform you are consuming this on. If you'd like more ghosts and folklore, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, and I'm on Instagram. And as well as this podcast, I've also written a number of books about similar weird and wonderful subjects, which are available from all All good bookshops offline and on. And on that note, it just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening. Dioch and Varian Ambrando. I've been Mark Reese. This has been my Ghosts and Folklore podcast beaming to you from Wales to the world. Until next time, before I go off on any more tangents, Nosta.